0: chapter 1 revelation chapter 1 and if you're joining us for the first time we are just now starting the book of revelation it's a book about end times and in the previous introduction uh you know i mentioned how people today are so interested in the future what's going to happen how's it all going to end how you know you know just Question after question, and people, you know, they they go to psychics, they have their palms read, they read their horoscopes, they they go everywhere but where you'll find the the, the true answer, which is the Word of God. So we're going to begin that today, and we're going to look at the preface of the book, the first eight verses. Verses 1 through 3 give us the introduction to Revelation. And it was probably written during the reign of Domitian, the Roman emperor, about A.D. 95. Domitian demanded that his his subjects worship him as Lord and God. And in the last days, we're going to have a lot of false Christs that say, come and worship me. But Christians refused to obey him. So the second round of persecution began. It went into effect against the church. And because of that, the Christians experienced all kinds of hostility, ridicule, poverty, And because they couldn't buy or sell, they were put into prison, or they were exiled, or they were killed. And the book of Revelation was God's answer to that horrible time. Christians could see, in a way like never before, shown to them that God was still on the throne, and that he is still in control. And in verses 1a through b, we see the importance of the book. The book is a revelation. The word revelation simply simply means unveiling or to uncover, or to reveal, or to make manifest. We get our English word apocalypse from it. But the way it's used today is a synonym for chaos and catastrophe. In the book of Revelation, the Holy Spirit in a way pulls back the curtain of time. And he gives us the privilege of seeing the glorified Christ in heaven and the fulfillment of his sovereign purposes in the world. In other words, Revelation is an open book where God shows his plan, shows us his plans and his purposes for his church. So let's begin now in chapter one with verse one, a the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show the servants. It says things which must shortly take place. So John reveals here the person of Christ. Now, some of you may have older Bibles that has the the title, The Revelation of St. John the Divine. John tells us this book is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him there in verse 1. When Jesus came to earth the first time, he came like a lamb. Matthew 11 says, gentle and lowly. His glory was hidden. He came to to be obedient even to the point of death, even the death of the cross, Paul says in Philippians Uh, 2.8. Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. He's God. He was God wrapped in uh, in, in human flesh and blood. He showed himself to be God in all kinds of ways. But only those who could see him through the eyes of faith recognized who he was. The world was so blind to who he was, that it offered him a barn to be born in and a cross to die on and a borrowed tomb to be buried in. But he's coming back. One day he's coming back like a lion with all of his glory for all the world to see and to crush the world who opposed him and rejected him. And he's coming to rule with a rod of iron. He's coming back in a spectacle and in splendor to rule and to reign. Jesus is coming back with the armies of heaven. His deity will be so bright and so clear like lightning on a dark night during that time. In the book of Revelation, the person of Jesus Christ is revealed and we're given one look after another of that glorious God man who fills all of heaven with his praise. Look at the second part of verse uh, verse one. Again, it shows God's purposes are made here to show his servants things which must shortly take place. This book was written by God to show his servants things which must shortly take place. God has a plan for this earth. There's prophecy all through the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation. And they're like parts of a puzzle that are all being put together. And a picture is starting to come together. And Revelation is like the last piece of that puzzle showing us the whole picture. In the many different pieces that we see, there are many signs. We see the falling away from the faith. We see the rapture of the church. We see wars and rumors of wars. We see famines and pestilences. We see the coming of the Antichrist and the false prophet, followed by the persecutions like this world has never seen before, nor ever will. We see the battle of Armageddon, followed by a time of great happiness, prosperity, and success. And we see the eternal destinies of, of men. And as we go through Revelation, sometimes we're in heaven and then we're on earth. The reason for that is the reason for the different settings <clears throat> is Revelation is the answer to the Lord's model prayer, Your kingdom come. In Revelation, we see God's will being spoken and declared in heaven. Then we see His will being done on earth. The book of Revelation shows us that no power in heaven, earth, or hell can hinder God's plan. God's kingdom is going to come. Whether you like it or not, it is going to come. Nobody is going to be able to stop it. The book of Revelation is filled with things, for the most part, that don't have much to do with our lives. Why? Because, you see, most of the things that happen are going to take place after the church has been raptured, after we're gone. Praise God. Look at the third part of verse C. And it says there in verse 1c, God sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. This is the amazing way that John the Apostle received the book. John says, God sent and signified it by his angel to me, his servant John. The word signified literally means to give a sign or signal. The revelation is a book of signs and symbols. And you'll see as we go through Revelation, we will find a lot of symbolism, a lot of it related to the Old Testament. Now, why did John use symbolism? Because, you see, only those who knew Jesus Christ personally would understand. Also, symbolism, for the most part, doesn't change with time. John was able to pull the, uh, from the great imagery in God's Revelation... And put them together and make an exciting drama that has encouraged Christians who have been persecuted and suffered for centuries. Another reason that John used symbolism is not just to convey information, but also to teach values and to stir up people's hearts. John could have written, A dictator will rule the world. Well, he's going to, but instead he called him a beast. You see, the symbol says a whole lot more than the word dictator. Instead of explaining a world system, John used the phrase Babylon the Great. And he compared the harlot with the bride. Using the actual name Babylon would give a lot deeper spiritual truth to readers who knew the Old Testament. On the other hand, we can't let our imaginations run wild interpreting and understanding the symbols that John used. Biblical symbols are consistent with the whole Bible. In other words, a symbol can't mean something in one book and then become something else in another book. Some symbols are, are explained in the scriptures. Some are understood from Old Testament symbolism. And then some symbols aren't explained at all. The book of Revelation refers to the Old Testament almost 300 times. This means that we have to connect our interpretations to what God has already revealed to us so that we don't misinterpret this important prophetic book. Look at verse two. It says, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Again, we see now the careful way that John recorded this revelation. It says, John bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Notice, to all the things that he saw. The word of God tells us how special this message is. The testimony of Jesus, it points to the consistency of the message. Even though the revelation of prophecy is constantly unfolding, it's always consistent. That is, God's word will never contradict itself. God never contradicts himself. You can't have something said in one book and then have it contradicted in another book. It is consistent from Genesis to Revelation. The book of Revelation builds on the testimony of Jesus Christ. It develops and explains many of the things that Jesus taught in Matthew 24 through 25 on the Mount of Olives, which is known as the Olivet Discourse, which were based on statements in Daniel and other places in the Old Testament. John wrote down only... Only what he saw and heard. John did not add his opinion. John did not say what he thought. He only wrote down what he saw and what he heard. And we need to understand and do the same thing when it comes to the word of God. We are not to add to it. We are not to take away from it. We're not to guess what things say. If we don't know, we don't know. If we don't know, we don't say what we think it knows. I love what Pastor Chuck taught us a long time ago. He says where the Bible is silent, I will be silent. If God wanted me to know, he would let me know. John was careful about recording what the Lord revealed to him. We have to be just as careful when we read this book as John was when he wrote it. We are, like I said, not to add to it or not to subtract from it. That's why I said in the first introduction, I don't go into speculation. I don't get into speculation. Of who's the Antichrist and who's the false prophet and who's the, I don't know. All I know is that the Bible says there's going to be a a, a false prophet and there's going to be an antichrist. Who it is? God, you know, well, thank God we won't be here to find out. So I I don't care. We know that there's going to be one because the Bible says so. So, again, um, I don't go into I don't get into speculation. I don't try to guess And that, you know, just going to teach the word of God as it as it is. Verse three. Blessed. Which means happy. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. There is something amazing and special about this last book of the Bible. It has a special promise for us. Notice again what John said. Blessed. The word means happy. Happy is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it. This is the first of seven blessings in the book. And this one is for today. The next uh, two blessings relate to the, uh, the great tribulation. The fourth blessing deals with Armageddon. The fifth blessing points to the millennium. And the last two blessings refers to the celestial city. So the blessing here relates to those who read what the book has to say and to those who hear what the book has to say. Just to hear it and read it, that is the book of Revelation, that's a blessing in itself. Even though a lot of it's hard to understand, we can still get a sneak preview of Jesus in glory and God's will being worked out and the wonderful way that this life and earth as we know it comes to an end. Just hearing the prophecies of the book being read is a blessing in a chaotic and troubled world like the one that we live in today. But we also have to pay attention to what's written. We have to be watching out for things in light of what the book has to say. It involves a special time. John tells us in verse three, notice the time is near people. The time is near. This book is not to be ignored just because it talks about things that are still in the future. Even though we're not told in Scripture that Christ's return is immediate, that is right now, it is always about to happen. The return of Christ can happen at any moment. We need to live as if Jesus was coming in the next second. Jesus coming is just around the corner. It can happen at any moment. It's an event that overlaps time. The things that it says are going to happen and that can happen at any moment. We need to understand that. Jesus warned us to watch and be ready and not to be caught off guard. Now, Peter was the only one of the 12 apostles who had no blessed hope that the Lord would come during his lifetime because Jesus told him that he was going to die early. At any time in history, God could have ordered the events that led to Christ's return. All through the centuries, Committed believers uh, thought they were living in the time of Christ's return, and I remember when I first got saved forty some years ago. I mean, that was the thing that that was being you know preached and taught a lot. Hey, you know, Jesus is coming any time now, any time now. His return is any day, And, and you know, some people have been able to sense that what they sincerely believe to be signs of the times because of the things happening in the world around them. You look around today. I think at least in my life and the things that I have seen is it's never been the way it is today. There is such a division among people, such a hatred among people today, among one another. You know, we, we, we see the attack on Christianity like never before. Uh, you know, the hatred for Jesus Christ and the, and the things of God. We've never seen it like that before. Revelation deals with a special time. It speaks about things that will happen in heaven and earth during the final day. That is the day of the Lord. If Christians in John's time thought the coming of Christ was near, man, how much more can we say it today? That Christ is coming. Look at verse four, the first part. John says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace. Notice, the book of Revelation here starts with a blessing. The substance of the blessing here. John was barely started, had barely started writing. Notice, and he already, there's already a blessing given. Most of the book of Revelation speaks about judgment. And yet, God starts out with grace. In this book, God gives wicked men the judgment they deserve. No mercy here. God is just going to pour out all the judgment that he has been holding back over the ages. Since Jesus Christ died on the cross. And and pours it out in full fury. Yet God starts revelation by telling men they can have what they don't deserve. grace John sees a whole bunch of people. A multitude of people that no man can number, men and women who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb and who have not, let their li- who had not lived their lives unto death. Grace. They've experienced grace. Not only is there grace, but peace as well. Here is a book that deals with the very opposite of peace. It deals with bloodshed and war. It's filled with chaos and strife. It describes killing and fighting, earthquakes, famine, pestilence, and misery. It tells about cleansing and persecutions greater than in any other time in history. Blood, it tells us, it tells us that blood will flow like rivers. It tells us that, that, that about the fall of an empire, about a dictatorship, and lawlessness, and oppression, terror, misery, and death. The book of Revelation tells about war in heaven and war on earth. It tells about a man called the beast. Who's powered by and indwelt by Satan. And he inflicts horrible vengeance on God's people. Thunders crash. Stars fall out of the sky. Plagues come up from the bottomless pit. Demons take control of the lives and the affairs of men. Armies are gathered together by millions of men. And yet God starts this book of judgment with grace and peace. Amazing grace. The earth struggle will soon be over. And Jesus will lead us to peace. That's what the Holy Spirit wants us to know right from the start. Grace and peace will be the end result. When the earth's chaos is over, then will come a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells and everything is grace and peace. That's why Revelation starts with a blessing. Look at the second part and first part of fourth, uh, verse 4 and 5. It says, uh, well, let's read first, uh, verse 4, and, four uh, and 5. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before the throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the king's, Of the earth to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Who's behind this blessing? The triune God, the Trinity, the father, the son and the Holy Spirit. It's a blessing that comes with all the authority of heaven behind it. A blessing, a blessing given by the Trinity. First, we read that the blessing. Notice it says here is from him speaking of God who is and who was and who is to come. Now, in the context here, this can only be God the Father. He's presented to us as the one who surpasses all time. He lives in the present. He lives in the past and in the future tenses of time. He's done so from all eternity. The past, present, and future are the same to God. He doesn't wear a watch. Will there be no clocks in heaven? He's not bound by time. The blessing comes. From God, the Holy Spirit. We read from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Now, this isn't referring to seven angelic beings. Notice who the blessing uh, also is coming from. The father and the son. So what's being said has to refer to the Holy Spirit. Because no created being could be joined together like this to the Godhead. The words, the seven spirits has to do with the perfection of the Holy Spirit's person and with his fullness of power. We see that in Isaiah 11 verses 2 and 3, where it says the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of of his ears. So the seven uh, spirits here is the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. The three characteristics of the Holy Spirit. The blessing is from the Son of God. He has three titles. And when you put them together, they show his relationship to the present time. We see first. That the that the age has started. It says the blessing is from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. That's his first title. He came to earth to be a witness to a dark and immoral world. And his witness was one of a kind. Yet it was rejected. He witnessed to the name of God. In the Old Testament times, God was often made known through his many and different names. Each one showing a different side of his character. Jesus taught men a new name for God. It was the intimate, heartwarming name, Father. God, our Father. He witnessed to the nature of sin. The Old Testament describes sin in many ways, but Jesus gave the full understanding of the ugliness of sin when he died upon the cross. You want to see how horrible and ugly sin is? Look at the cross. Jesus witnessed to the need for righteousness on the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapters five through seven, the Old Testament dealt with the actual act. The actual sin that was committed where Jesus uh, dealt with the desire, which is the very root of all sin. You know, a lot of times as long we, we think as long as we don't commit the act, we're okay. Jesus is no. If you even think about it, you've committed it in your heart. So, again, he witnesses to the nearness of judgment. Jesus spoke more about hell than he did heaven. Now, understand, Scripture does not say God predestined people to hell because there's a doctrine out there that tells you that God predestined some people to heaven and he predestined some people to hell. Wrong. That is not biblical. It does not go along with the character of God. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 25, 42. Then he will say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you who curse You cursed into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. It does not say prepared for man, the devil and his angels. It was never meant for man. It was meant for the devil and his angels. But for those who want to reject Jesus Christ and his wonderful offer of salvation, you will end up there with the devil and his angels. As the faithful witness, Jesus brought the news about salvation. He told the good news about salvation and he told it to look to the good and the bad alike. The age started with Jesus as the faithful witness and the age goes on. The blessing is from Jesus. It says the firstborn from the dead. Here's his second title. Jesus tasted death for everyone. We need to understand that. Again, Jesus didn't die for a selected few and then didn't die for others. He died for everyone. Jesus rose in victory from the grave. He ascended to glory. And he's there right now to put into action, to carry out the plans and the purposes of God for this age. The firstborn. He was the firstborn. This means in priority and sovereignty. He's the leader of all who will rise from the dead through him to everlasting life. Jesus, our great priest, is in glory right now at the right hand of the Father, busy with carrying out God's plans and purposes for this age. Jesus is building his church. And he said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And from heaven comes the encouraging words in verse 4, grace to you and peace. We're also told how the age ends. The blessing is from the Lord Jesus Christ, the ruler over the kings of the earth, his third title. He's the one who came to be born in a barn and to die on a cross. He's the one who came to be born in a barn and die on a cross, and he's coming back again to reign in glory and power with heaven's armies behind him. Satan will have his last hurrah. He'll crown a monster called up from the sea and the bottomless pit. He'll build an empire made out of sand. He'll lead the weak and shaky empire with an evil tyrant armed with a few fancy tricks to dazzle the eye and and to deceive the multitudes. This coming world dictator, the Antichrist, will put on quite a show. He'll strut around like a peacock, like, hey, I'm the man. I'm the one I'm going to straighten out the world. I'm going to put everything in order. Don't worry, I'll take care of it. He's going to set up his image. He's going to shake his fist at God. He's going to pour out of his mouth a bunch of blasphemies about the Savior. He's going to cry out to everyone. Hey, I'm God. Look to me. I'll take care of you. He says, my prophet and I. Can make my image even talk. He says he's going to say worship me. He's going to call for people to worship him or die. And then God seated in the heavens is going to laugh. And then all of a sudden. The walls of this false empire. With its leader are going to come crashing down like a castle made out of sand. So then. This book starts with a blessing men are offered grace and peace by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In all of its fullness, the blessing belongs to the saints of the coming age who will face the time of the Great Tribulation. So, if this blessing will stand the test of time like that, how much more can we rest in the promises of God for tests and trials that we go through today? When times become so unbearable, so hard, so difficult, Grace and peace are ours. A sure thing for us in Christ, the coming one. The blessing here is barely given when the believers respond back uh, answering the blessing. The blessing tells us about the grace that God has saved up for us. It's grace that endures. Notice the believers answer back to the blessing in verse 5b with the words, him who loved us. You see, it's an enduring grace. It's the love that Calvary displayed. It's a love that can't be turned off by anything we say or do or don't do. It's a love by God that never lets us go. It's a love that's long suffering. It's a love that's kind. It's love that endures to the end. We rejoice in God's grace. Why? Because it sets us free. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. That's the joyful expression of the believers. The word washes here means, number one, to loose any person or thing tied or fastened. Secondly, it means to loose one bound, for example, to unbind, to release from bonds, to set free. God is a blessing that we rejoice in because it exalts. Notice verse six. And has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It says, here is a blessing that we rejoice in." Why? Because God exalts us. Exalts us. He makes us kings and priests. He, God, has lifted us up out of the gutter of sin. He's cleansed us. He's given us all the dignity and honor and majesty of a prince and all the ministry of a priest. He's given us power with men and power with God. And no one but God could do this. Nobody but God could lift us to this position. That's the grace that God has for us. That's what God's grace does for us. And in verse six, we also see the grace that belongs to him. It's an attribute. It's his by position and it's everlasting glory. The second part of verse six notice says to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. This is the glory that he's always had with the father. Even before the world was created. It's a glory that all men will recognize and accept one day when he returns in all of his glory and all of his magnificence. All power and authority will be his as well. Because he will reign over all the earth. Everything that was originally placed in Adam's care. Back in the garden. But was taken away from him by the serpent. Will be the Lord's forever and ever. Once again. Verses 7 through 8. As we close. Behold he is coming with clouds. And every eye will see him. Even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. Jesus speaking, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. When you read a good book, if you're a reader and and you read a good book, you know, and, and it starts off with a good story and a good plot, it just, it grabs you. You don't want to put it down. It holds your interest. And as you read it, it continues to build. And along the way, there's twists and turns. And and you start getting to a place where, you know, you want to know how it's all going to end. You know, how many times have you jumped to the last chapter and skipped everything in the middle just to see how it's going to end? Well, not with the book of Revelation, because you see, you would think that it starts off with all the bad stuff first. And you find all the good stuff in the end, but not with God. Because, you see, God can't wait to tell you how it's all going to end because it's so good. He says, notice, behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. He tells you right off the bat, hey, he's coming back. That's how it's going to end. Everybody knows how it's going to end. And John tells us a couple of things about the victorious coming of Jesus Christ. It says here, behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. The word clouds in scripture often represents God's presence because a cloud was used as the visible sign of God's presence when God led Israel through the desert wilderness also. We see that uh, when the law was given on Mount Sinai, there was a thick cloud that came down on the mountain. It was a sign of God's presence. And there's more references to this in the Old Testament. When Jesus comes, everybody will see him. John says all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. Jesus gave us this warning in Matthew 24, 23 through 40. He says, then if anybody says to you, look, here is the Christ. Or there do not believe it because false prophets, a false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, don't go out or look, he's in the inner rooms. Don't believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the son of man be. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all of the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So in the last days, and we've seen it in, in, in past years, we've seen somebody say, oh, well, you know, Jesus has already come. He's over here or he's over there. Jesus, don't believe that. He's not going to be in some hidden place and you go over there or he's over in this place. And you, he says, when I come, every eye is going to see me all at once. It's going to be that spectacular of an event. When he comes, every eye will see him. Don't believe the false Christ, the false prophets. Think of what men will be doing when Jesus comes back. They will be busy in their last minutes of foolishness. People will be going around doing doing their thing. Business as usual. They will be trying to do battle in the battle of Armageddon. Instigated by the beast and his demonic leaders. Then all of a sudden the armies are going to be blown away. They're going to look up. And they're going to see Jesus. They're going to throw down their weapons because they're going to realize we can't fight this kind of power. And they'll just cry out. And Israel, who has been blinded since the beginning, they will look up. They will see Jesus Christ and they will confess him as Lord and they will be saved. Can you imagine what a day of weeping and celebration that's going to be? For the Jews and for again for those who are saved, those who do get saved during the tribulation period, the King has finally come back. The King is none other than the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, and His victory will be complete and it will be forever. Then Jesus will set up His kingdom that will a kingdom that will last for a thousand years. This is the millennial kingdom, and when the and and the purpose of the millennial kingdom, when it, His purpose has finished. The kingdom will then be done away, not because it failed, not because it fell apart, not because a stronger enemy uh, overtook it, but because Jesus wills it to be that way. And because the time has come to set up an everlasting kingdom that will never, never pass away. Christ's everlasting victory is based on three of the most important and well-known attributes of his deity. We see it in verse 8. First, his omniscience. His omniscience, he says, notice, I am the Alpha and the Omega Alpha and Omega are the first letters, first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He's the first and the last source of all knowledge, understanding and wisdom. He knows all things, what he says, what he does, what he commands are based on his all knowing omniscience. This means Jesus can't be tricked. He can't be misformed. He can't be disputed. He can't be discredited or confused or surprised. He couldn't be fooled the first time he came to save mankind. You bet he can't be fooled when he comes the second time to judge and to rule and to reign. His commands will be complete. They will be forever and they will be wise because they will be based on perfect knowledge of all the facts, all the powers, all the aspects of everything concerned. Secondly, his omnipresence. He's omnipresent. He said there in verse eight, I am the beginning and the end. His omnipresence is declared here in terms of time. But it's just as true in terms of space. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered together in my name. I am there not. I'm going to be there. Don't wait for me. I'll get there. I am there in the midst of them. Jesus is there in the midst of any group of his people in any part of the world at any given moment of time. He said, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Third, he's omnipotent. He says, I am the Lord who is notice who is and who was and who is to come. The almighty who is was used to describe the father in verse one uh, in here in chapter one, verse four. It's used to describe the son. So we see the deity. Jesus is God. Jesus is God in every sense of the word. He is the almighty God. It's a title that is used nine times in Revelation. So may we be ready. May we be prepared. As we look into the book of Revelation. Again, it's a book of judgment. But you know what? Everybody has an opportunity to be saved before that judgment comes. That's important you understand that. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. We thank you so much, Lord, for your love and your grace. We thank you for this exciting, wonderful, promising book, Lord. And Father, I pray this morning that that everybody here, Lord, is born again. And has received Christ as their Lord and their Savior. So that if you were to come right now. There would be nobody left in this church. But perhaps. If you're here this morning and you've never received Christ. As your Lord and Savior, you're not born again. This is a most important time for you. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. You see, you can't get to heaven. Through religion. Through a priest, through a pastor. Through a church. It's only through Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can get you into heaven. But you have to receive him. The finished work that he did on the cross. He shed his blood for your sins and my sins. And we have to receive that forgiveness. The worship team is going to lead us in a time of worship right now, and this time is for you. If the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart and you recognize, I need Christ, I need to be born again. I need to make Him my Lord and my Savior. I need His saving blood to cleanse me of all of my sins. Then as we worship, if you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you want to make sure that when He comes for His church, that you'll go with Him. As we worship, you get up out of your seat. You make your way down the aisle towards the steps up front I'll meet you there. And when the song is over, we'll say a simple prayer of faith together.